Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Football is back on a Thursday night and here on Fantasy Sports Today, we're here to break it all down as well as talk about what happened in the first two games of the World Series. Fantasy Sports Today is off and running and it starts right now. Fantasy Sports Today. Welcome in. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia, with you here on FNTSY Radio and Sports Grid. Great to be with you here on this Thursday. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizzapia17. We're here for you and with you every Monday through Friday from noon to 2 Eastern. Sean Guastamacchia back in the house producing the program today. And uh, as we get kind of off and running here, Joe, here on this Thursday, we got a lot of football to get to here, of course, throughout the show. But uh, a stunning and definitely very surprising outcome in the first two games of the World Series. And and look, this could change in a hurry. Certainly Houston, the best team in baseball over the last three years, Joe, could go to Washington and certainly win all three games. I mean, it could happen. It's sports. You never know. But wow, the Nationals made a huge statement, I thought, last night in beating the two best pitchers, arguably, in the American League, if not in all of baseball. And now the series shifts back to Washington with a chance for them to not go back to Houston. Rather incredible result. It's an unbelievable result, and uh, boy, oh boy, uh, just a couple days ago, we were talking about how incredibly favored Houston was, and um, I don't know, I, I just I took umbrage with that. I didn't think it was that far apart, but I certainly didn't think they would go into Houston and win the first two games. I thought they could probably split those first two. I definitely thought that, but I'll tell you, it's unbelievable when you watch baseball is one of those games where when you see a team that's playing loose and having fun, and you see the dugout of the Washington Nationals, especially, you know, Strasburg got out of that jam. And then the following inning, there's Verlander on the 100th pitch, giving up a home run to Suzuki. And it all kind of fell apart after that. But when you get back to that bench, and you see Kurt Suzuki kind of welcome back in. The, the silly things that they're doing, they're having fun. They're playing loose. And baseball is one of these games when you play tight. I don't know. It just becomes really difficult. I mean, I'm sure that's true of a lot of sports. But baseball specifically, one of the, whenever a team is fast and loose and having fun, I always feel like they're so much more dangerous and that's the Nationals right now. And they've got to be feeling so much confidence. They're going back into their own building. That place is going to be insane. Uh, absolutely insane when they go back there. So excited because they have a real shot to close this thing out there in Washington, Craig. I mean, I'm sure that they, a lot of people were shocked. But, I mean, looking at this, do you think this series gets back to Houston? Boy, I don't know at this point. I mean, Wash- I mean, how could you not think that Washington's got a great chance to do it? Uh, the thing with with predictions and, you know, and personal predictions is that once you kind of make one, you know, you certainly can change your opinion of it, but I, I tend to stick with what I thought at the beginning of the series, which is I think it still goes seven. And so obviously I want to be right and uh, and I would love for it to go seven. But realistically, do I think that that will happen? No, um, I, I think that Washington has a great chance to win this thing. And usually teams that go up to 0 or 3-0 end up sweeping the series. So 
Uh, I don't know what to expect on Friday night. I mean, Anibal Sanchez has been really good for Washington, and Zach Greinke has not been good for Houston. And that was one of those games that I circled as a possibility for Washington to win, even if they split the first two games. And, and again, you get Colin Verlander back again, and then you go to a game seven, and then anything can happen. That's kind of the way I thought this would play out. But, man, totally wrong on that. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, at this point, I would have to say it certainly looks like the Nationals will win the World Series. It is the the team that has been the best team in baseball over the last few years that they're going up against. So you can't rule anything out without a doubt. This isn't like the Yankees where the Yankees have no pitching. Houston hypothetically has this fantastic pitching staff. But yeah, I mean, Verlander and Cole, we're both good. Make no mistake about it. But the bats for Houston have not been the bats that we saw at all during the postseason and the regular season. The bullpen last night for Houston was a disaster. Ryan Presley, who I thought was a major part of what Houston is going to try and do in the postseason, got lit up completely, and so did Josh James. So I would think that the games will be lower scoring and closer in Washington, but it does not bode well for Houston at all. And they had a team meeting after the game last night. And so, uh, look, I mean, that's a long-winded answer for me. I guess the answer I'm going to stick with is yes, it does go back to Houston. But at this point, it would not shock me to see Washington sweep the World Series, Joe. They're just, it looks like when we say it's a narrative of a team of destiny, it certainly seems like Washington is a team of destiny at this point. Well, it definitely does. And and they keep winning those games where they just keep believing, they keep hanging close, and they find a way to do it. And, you know, we always go to this whole, like, well, does the best team win? Yeah. At the end of the day, the best team always wins. And because whoever wins, that's the best team. That's the way sports is supposed to be. So all this stuff, you know, it's very rare you get a team that is just truly incredibly more talented than the other. And granted, Houston has an outstanding lineup. You've got the two pitchers at the top. You can't argue the amount of talent. But I feel like Washington was just basically overlooked. And maybe it's because some of their talent is still young, like Soto. Maybe it's because of their talent is kind of uh, not necessarily on the national stage, no pun intended, like Anthony Rendon, who people don't really respect as much as they should of how good of a player he is. And, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you look at the National League and the Braves were running away with it and all that stuff. And, and I wonder, too. Are we at a place where, you know, you get all these great playoff games, you get all this great baseball happening. And I just feel like, are we in a place where baseball would just be so much better served if more baseball was playoffs and less was regular season? Because I just feel like this long regular season just grows on and on and on. And I know I say, well, it's never going to change. It's never going to change. But you know what? There's been a lot of changes in baseball. The DH has changed. The 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 fact that you get, uh, you know, wild cards changed. The fact that you change divisions. You had teams move from the National League to the American League. You have interleague play. Baseball has done nothing but evolve, and I think it's time for another evolution. More playoffs, less regular season, because this kind of baseball, where everything's condensed, is so much more impactful and entertaining, and I think it would really branch out and reach out to this generation more. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. The first the first thing that I will say is I don't agree at all that Washington is the best team if they win the World Series. They're, they're the best team uh, since June on, and they have been the best team in the postseason. But I don't agree at all that they were the best team getting into this thing. Uh, I mean, Milwaukee had them down to like an out in the eighth inning against the best pitcher in baseball, and Washington was fortunate. Let's give them credit for doing it, but to get a couple of runs and then win that game in the ninth, it looked like Washington was left for dead. Uh, so I don't agree with that, but I do think they're the hottest team. They're playing the best, and that's what wins the World Series is the team that's the hottest and playing the best. But overall, Houston, to me, is a better team than Washington. It's just the Nationals have caught them on their way to destiny, and I'm fine with that. The second part is that I don't disagree with the statement that you're making, and the way that baseball is trying to combat this, at least from a September point of view, is that there's no September call-ups next year for the first time ever. They've expanded the rosters next year from 25 to 26. I think they're going a little bit higher than that, and that's it. So they're trying to make September baseball more meaningful and more competitive. Maybe the road that you're describing is the road that inevitably they go down. It's certainly possible. But baseball's next step is to take away these dog games in September 
where these tanking teams and these teams are losing 100 games, uh, you know, can't just throw an entire lineup of kids who you'll never see ever again. So potentially that is the way that they're going to combat it. We'll see if that ends up working. We'll see if you're right. If they end up expanding the playoff format, I wouldn't rule anything out. But at least that's where we're headed, Joe, in uh, in baseball. And we'll see next year if that ends up working. But 26-man rosters is the new rule next year and no September. Uh, Which is a good good change. I mean, September baseball has become a joke. It's hard. And you don't want no, playoff hard. races decided by that, by the fact that you can bring in a different pitcher every five seconds. That's just no, crazy. That's, that's done. So it's done after this year. And then I think that's the right move. Maybe the move that you're describing is next after this one. It's certainly possible. All right. Uh, we're off and running here. We did a lot of baseball talk in the first segment. Of course, it is the World Series, and they'll continue that tomorrow night. In Washington, D.C., we'll see if the Nationals can uh, stop Houston from getting back there, because obviously if it goes back to Houston, that would not vote well for them. It would mean the Nationals did not play well at home, uh, but we'll see what happens this weekend. Coming up next is the opening drive. We do have some news on the show, which we will get to. And of course, we got is the wrong team favorite. John Law will check in with some college football news and notes. You're listening to Fantasy Sports today. Craig Miss, Joe Pizapia with you here on SportsGrid, FNTSY Radio, as we take our first time out of the show. Opening drive is next here on FNTSY's Fantasy Sports Today. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. down the field to our hopefully still wide open tailback. I call it Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia. Fantasy Sports Today presents First play from scrimmage The opening drive The first play of the game From the opening play and all the way for a touchdown And welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today, and it is the opening drive here on the show. We got football back tonight, one pro game, one college game. We'll talk about all of that a little bit later in the show. But, Joe, let's kind of give you an update as to what's going on around the NFL. And, boy, the demise of Josh Gordon happened quick, <laughs> happened fast, and uh, and, it, and it is over for him in New England. Um, a, a kind of wild ending to this where... He was a very big boomer bust candidate at the beginning of the season for the Patriots. And so I am an owner of Josh Gordon in a couple of leagues. In fact, uh, you know, some back end type boomer bust situations where I didn't love my draft. I felt like he was a great guy to take if you didn't love your draft. Similar to uh, similar to uh, Todd Gurley, you know, like a guy that you didn't really know what was going to happen. So oh, you look at your draft. I'm not happy with it. Let me go ahead and take this guy because if he's great, I'm in great shape. And if he's bad, well, then it's a bust. Uh, look, Josh Gordon was a bust with the New England Patriots. There's no way to, to look around it any other way. Had a nice little run a little bit last year. Now, the story gets a little bit interesting as far as some of the updates say, because Joe uh, Gordon is basically saying that he is healthy. He also posted something on social media, which is another indication of that, uh, that maybe he will get waived pretty quickly and sign with another team. But I got to tell you, I got no interest whatsoever. I'm cutting them in all my leagues, Joe. And, uh, and and I think the narrative that we'll present a little bit later in the show, which is a immense amount of talent for a player that virtually only had a few weeks of greatness. By the way, if you had Josh Gordon during those few weeks of greatness, you may have won yourself a fantasy football championship because he was one of those guys. But he was basically a one-year wonder and done, and the rest of it was promise undelivered. 
Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> you basically summed it up there. It's hard to Was there add, anything else I left out? <laughs> no, I mean, you really did. I mean, that that's kind of the tale of Josh Gordon. And I know a little later on the show, we're going to talk about some other what-if guys who had enormous talent, but for one reason or another, just didn't reach the pinnacle of what their talent could be. It is kind of odd. Maybe the Pats were just kind of done waiting for him to get better. Or maybe they just felt like, you know what, we've given this guy a lot of shots. It's just not working out. We need to just continue to move on for the sake. I mean, this is the very Patriot thing to do. They're also kind of a roster crunch with the wide receivers because when they got Nikhil Harry back, they're going to have to activate him now. And he's a far cheaper investment. So it makes sense financially um, for them to go ahead and make that kind of a maneuver. And I'm sure if Josh Gordon gets waived, some team will pick him up. So I don't know if you want to necessarily cut him from your fantasy team. You can if there's somebody out there that you think could really help you right now this week. That's fine. But if you have the bench space to hold him, I would hold him for another week or so and see. Because if he goes to another team, there might be an overinflated sense of value, which we always talk about. Like some of these guys like Sanu and Sanders who got dealt or on new teams where everybody has a fresh outlook. And, oh, well, maybe I'll take a shot on him. You never know what you can get in a deal. But that would be the only good. reason I would. <laughs> I would. I mean, Joe, well, what, what fantasy league are you starting Josh Gordon in? Ever well, you're not starting him, but there's there's a lot of owners out there, especially owners that have good records. And, you know, the owner who's five and one or six and oh, or wherever they're at right now that or, or seven and uh, whatever that, that, you know, you can look at and go, yeah, you know what? I'll take a shot and I'll see maybe for the stretch run, maybe he becomes something somewhere because, you know, it's so funny to me how guys like Josh Gordon, who are that one year wonder guy, just seem to get a million chances with fantasy owners. And yet there's guys who will not perform after one year and people will never want to touch them again. And I don't understand it, especially like a rookie. You know, I mean, how many times have we seen that a rookie come out like Melvin Gordon, who was bad in the first year and then all of a sudden had, you know, three or four really productive years after that. And people just refuse to buy yeah. in. It's no, and I, I, I get why they do. And and a lot of them, Joe, are people who owned or, uh, Gordon. I was one of them during that run that he had with the Browns over a four or five game period uh, in a playoff scenario, by the way, in fantasy weeks, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, way back when. I don't even remember who his quarterback was, to be honest, at the time. Uh, he delivered. It was a, Brian Hoyer, if memory. Whoever I mean, it was, he delivered a four or five game run. Historically speaking, for wide receivers in the NFL, so I get why the notion is let's grab him again. I mean, it was the same thing. It reminds me of when Larry Johnson was with Kansas City. People just, I mean, he had a run of games that was like Priest Holmes-ish, historic for one season. And so next year, people didn't want to quit that. They were like, "Oh, he's gonna, it's gonna happen. He's gonna do it eventually. He's gonna do it." But he never did. And 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 look, I, I do think he'll get signed. If I asked you, Joe, the rest of the season, from a uh, a fake betting point of view, if I set his touchdown total for the remainder of 2019 at one and a half touchdowns, the rest of the season, would you go over or under one and a half touchdowns? Uh, it's hard not knowing. If you gave me a team, I, I, I that is that is part of this conversation, and I'm not giving you a team because that is okay. part of the building of the line. You don't get to know the team. <sighs> All right, then I'll go take the under. Because, yes, and I would too, because I don't yeah. think that he ends up with anyone. And even if he does, he's a bit player. And this smells of Randy Moss with Tennessee at the end of his career. A zero. That's a good analogy, time. actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't have the whole of him career first. No, <laughs> not even close. But as I said, Randy Moss with Tennessee. I didn't say Randy Moss with Minnesota. I said Randy or, like or New Steelers. England. I, team like the Steelers, I could see taking a shot. I don't. I wouldn't put it this way. I think it's over for him. I think it's. It, you know, it very well might be. But, you know, it's just, like I said, wasted talent, I guess, at the end of the day. It is well, a waste of talent. I mean, he, the, guy's has, the guy has uh, sickness and he has demons. And maybe that played into some of this, too. We don't know the answer to that. Why would New England just cut about right? They have, they're the ultimate reclamation project team throwing away well, another reclamation a, project. They've spent a year and change now on that reclamation project, and it's just not working. No. So, well, you know, two, for them. Two guys it, this year already. Brown and Get rid of Antonio Brown, who's a far superior talent. 
then they're willing to get rid of Josh Gordon, who's just not showing up to do the job that they want him to do at this point. It's just make, I, I do believe this whole waving him thing is just a roster crunch thing. I think this is just a pure numbers thing where they can say, yeah, maybe we'll get him back. Maybe we won't. At the end of the day, we want these guys practicing. We want these guys in the field and we need Sanu to get enough snaps to learn the offense. We need Harry to get enough snaps to learn the offense. I think that has a lot to do with it too. I think it has nothing to do with it. I think if, if, well, the, Patriots, if, if, if the Patriots knew that Josh Gordon was worth 10 cents, there's no way they would put this guy on the waiver wire. None. New England is the smartest team in the NFL. They identify talent that nobody does. Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, and you're telling me it's a roster crunch? F that. No I chance. I think they're willing to take the, sh- <laughs> the chance. Some team might be willing to take the chance. I just feel like they don't care. They're, yeah, they're I, I think he's done. Don't. He is done. That's the reason. I agree he's done, but some other team won't think he is. That's, I guess, my point. I, again, under one and a half touchdowns is the right call. It's fair. Uh, uh, John Elway yesterday comes out and says that Drew Locke is not quite ready or not ready. I, you know, I'm just probably butchering the quote. Not ready. Let's use that as the quote. So I think that you buy yourself a little bit more time there in Denver, and that's a good sign that they're not going to rush things. I, I think, Joe, that maybe uh, the Flacco train rides a few more weeks after seeing this. This is one of those rare situations where I may be willing to believe something. That is being said, because how can now Denver go back on the president of the team saying a guy is not ready and throwing him in next week? So I, I'm going to say that that Flacco trade rides two or three more weeks. How about you? It probably does. But at this point in time, does it matter if he's ready or not? Like, when do you have to start getting a look at a guy? I mean, what week do we start putting him in there if we believe in him? If we're putting a draft capital into a guy, be Cortland Sutton, I think. And the winner is probably Deshaun Hamilton, because I do think Hamilton will get a bit more. He's he's shown ability. So I do believe he's a guy that you can use in deeper leagues and full point PPR. I think he will get five catches a game or somewhere, five for 60 kind of a guy, like a Cole Beasley type dude. So I'm fine with that. But yeah, I mean, man, that, that Denver quarterback situation has just been an absolute mess for so long. It's hard to remember when it was good. Besides, I mean, Peyton Manning's the last time you could really oh, like yeah. stand up yeah. and look at a quarterback there. Yeah, Simeon uh, Osweiler hasn't worked out. All right, uh, third down, Edward Snowden, everyone knows his name. The NSA whistleblower did a full interview with Joe Rogan in an interesting podcast. Also came out. High. <laughs> also came out and said that he investigated, uh, you know, Area Fifty One, and says you can he can confirm that through his his findings there are no aliens. And they've never found aliens either, has the CIA. So do you believe this story, Joe? No aliens at all. Of course I don't. How 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 crazy to think that we're the only life in the universe? That's kind of an insane thought to me. So no. I, I, I will. I don't I'm not it. saying that, oh, my God, there's aliens all around us all the time. And I don't believe in ghosts like Sam Darnold does. But at the same time, I will say I think it's kind of narcissistic of us as human beings to think that we're the only life in the entire universe somewhere. So that's kind of crazy. All right. And then uh, fourth down HBO's uh, show comes back or or starts The Watchmen, Joe. This is this is a yeah. rally here. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen the film The Watchmen or read the graphic novel? I have not. Okay, I could tell you, I have done both. It's the only graphic novel I ever read, and I read it because I like the movie so much. I think you might dig this. The The okay. Watchmen is kind of a, in terms of superhero kind of films, it's kind of dirty and in the muck. It's kind of in that gray area of good and bad. Very different kind of thing. It's an alternate universe kind of situation where Richard Nixon was never ousted from being president. So the Cold War kind of continued and it got weird and all this stuff. So it was like an alternate 1985 or something like that. It was, it's something that is definitely, if you are a, I don't know, more well-rounded person, I feel like you kind of really enjoyed the Watchmen movie, chances are. And a lot of good performances in it. The story is very close in the film to the graphic novel. Now, I'm not familiar with the spinoff. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm definitely interested in it because if, if it's even close to as good as the Watchmen was as a as a novel and as a as a film then this should be outstanding it's got a lot of good people in it too all right we'll check it out on hbo coming up next is the wrong team favorite in the nfl joe and craig will be right back don't go away 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. Do you want two risk-free wagers up to $1,000? Go to pointsbet.com slash grid. Open up a PointsBet sports wagering account. Enter promo code grid. And you'll get two risk-free bets up to $1,000. In addition to traditional betting, PointsBet offers its own betting concept where customers are rewarded by how much they win their bet. For example, if you're playing tonight's NFL game and you bet the Vikings minus 16 and they beat the Redskins by 18, you'll receive 18 times your stake. Crazy, right? That's pointsbet.com slash grid. Enter promo code GRID and get your two risk-free bets of up to $1,000 today. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. To sign up for PointsBet, you must be in New Jersey and 21 years or older. Eligibility restrictions apply. Well, every Thursday, we take a look at some of the points spreads and decide whether or not the wrong team is favored in the NFL. And this week, unfortunately for us, there's not a lot to choose from. So what does that mean? A couple of things. It means that a lot of the games look like they could be blowouts on paper. Unfortunately, you got some teams in the NFL like Miami, like Cincinnati, and like some others that are 10-point favorites or more does not shape up well for this segment, unfortunately. But there are a handful of games that we will dive into. And the other thing that I would say is that just because we give you some of these teams that have the short spreads, the threes, the fours, and the fives, you know as well as I do, Joe, in the NFL, all bets are off. The Rams can be 10-point favorites, 11-point favorites. And they could lose. <laughs> it happens in the NFL all the time, and it could certainly, it probably will happen this week. It happens every week. But for the purposes of keeping it real, we'll try to give you some opinions on the lines that are, let's say, four points or less. And then there is one college game that I want to dive into here. Here, So we'll uh, take it out. You ready? Oh, man, to I just saw the college game. I didn't notice that at first. <laughs> we'll throw a college game out there for you guys. Oh, as well. We got to add it to the list. We're a little short. All right. Um, Okay, let's get started here. And these are lines from uh, the FanDuel website. So those of you who are in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or West Virginia or wherever you could bet legally, certainly do it. Or if you're in Las Vegas, have at it. We will uh, have some fun here. Buccaneers at the Titans. Tennessee minus two and a half. The Bucs are coming off a bye. The Titans got lucky that Melvin Gordon on third and one didn't score and then fumbled on the one or else they lose yet again last week. But it is the Chargers. The Chargers gifted them the win. So I would ask you, Joe, Bucks at the Titans. Titans minus two and a half is the wrong team favorite in this game. Uh, I'm going to have to say no. I, I, I understand where you're coming from with this one and the Bucks coming off the bye and, you know, we'll see what's going on there. But I, I understand the Buccaneers have also done a very good job of stopping the run. They're one of the better run defenses out there in the National Football League, believe it or not. and. The Titans, I don't know if I want to buy into Ryan Tannehill 100% because you've seen more Ryan Tannehill than most of us, unfortunately. And we all know he's going to have some moments and some moments that are not so good. So I think when you look at this, can they throw the ball in the box? And I think the answer is yes. I, I think Corey Davis, as long as he's healthy, I know he missed practice yesterday with an undisclosed injury. You got to love the undisclosed injuries. Those are my favorites. Um, but between him and A.J. Brown, I feel like Tannehill can do enough to win this football game. I actually think the Titans should be favored. And they're at home, too. So I think there's a lot of reasons there. Now, the Buccaneers certainly are dangerous. The Buccaneers certainly can continue to air it out with guys like Godwin and guys like Evans. But at the end of the day, I just the Bucks' ability to just continue to make mistakes is staggering. And I just feel like you can't win football games that way, Craig. So do you think the wrong team is favored here? 
Yeah, I do. I, I don't I don't like Tennessee at all. I don't like their offensive line at all. And I think that you illustrated a very important point, which is running backs against the Bucks have struggled. And if Henry is not running, I think it will cause a problem. I will take Tampa Bay here as the as the wrong team being favored. I'm the biggest anti Winston guy. I would think that now after that after last week, I think that the Bucks go back to that try to run the ball and not make mistakes type offense, which leads the game seventeen seventeen with one minute to go. And as long as Tampa Bay has that ball with 17-17 with one minute to go, they got a shot. So I am I would definitely not say it's a blowout. I'll throw a dart, take Tampa Bay as the wrong team being favored in this game. Chargers at the Bears. The Bears are minus four in this one. Uh, they have struggled both on offense and defense without a doubt. They showed life against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago in London where they were trailing 17-0, came back to take the lead, almost won the game. But then they did not show up at all last week. The Chargers show up every week, but then find a way to lose at the end of the game. They're getting four points in this one, Joe. Is the wrong team favored in this game? I actually think the wrong team is favored in this one. I, I do. I know the offensive line for the Chargers is Swiss cheese right now, and that certainly is worrisome to say the least. But the only thing more concerning than that is the fact that Mitch Trubisky threw the ball 50 times last week. And I, you just can't have that happen. I mean, they're, they're going down a very dangerous road here with Trubisky in this offense where they refuse to run the football. They refuse to take the pressure off their defense. And Trubisky is just not that good. So uh, I don't know where they finally put their foot down and go, hey, we have to change the identity of what we do on offense. Maybe it will be on this game. Maybe. Maybe the defense can do enough to score touchdowns on defense because we all know Cleo Mack can create turnovers like nobody's business. But like you said, you know, you never know what you're going to get out of the Chargers. And I always feel like the Chargers are a more dangerous team on the road than they are at home. So Give me the Chargers in this one. I do think the wrong team is favored. How about you? Yep, I agree with the sentiment. I, I think that it's not an overreaction at this point to look at the Bears and think one or two things is going to happen. Either they're going to lose every game the rest of the year or they're going to start to adjust their tempo and adjust their game plan to try and win these games by a point or two. That is giving too many points to a team like the Chargers with all of that talent. And again, overreaction to their loss last week. I understand two weeks ago when they're at home, they never play well at home, the Chargers. They don't have a home field advantage. They play in front of the road crowd when they're even at home. I think that the Bears probably win this game by a point or two, but too many points at four. So I do believe the wrong team is favored, and I would expect the Chargers to play well, but again, uh, miss a field goal late in the game and lose, which is what they always do. Seahawks minus three and a half at the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Falcons appear to have quit on the season, but that's not what the line is telling you. That is for sure. Seattle is only three and a half point favorites here. We don't know for sure if Matt Ryan is going to play or not. Clearly, if he does not, we need to put a little asterisk on this game because I don't think either of us would take Atlanta, regardless of what the spread is, if Ryan does not play. But if he does, let's make that assumption. Seattle is minus three and a half coming off a game where they looked awful at home against Baltimore. So is the wrong team favored in this game? Seattle minus three and a half at Atlanta. No, the Falcons have folded up the tents. I think they're just done. And especially with Matt Ryan with the ankle issue. I know they're holding him back from practice. They say he's going to play. That's great. That's fine. That's dandy. But the one thing about ankle injuries is that once you sprain an ankle, there's a weakness there for a while. And my concern is him re-aggravating that or injuring that at any given time. And I think that's certainly a possibility. And if that happens, then this game is completely done. It's completely over. Uh, so I will say with the Seahawks are the right team. I understand there's that little concern. But, you know, we've waited long enough for the Falcons to show up and have some pride. That ship has sailed. And then when guys start getting traded off, that usually is kind of the death knell for a team. We've seen that in other sports, too. When you start jettisoning players from the roster, it tends to kind of be going south. So I'll take the Seahawks in this one. Do you think the Falcons have any pride left? I don't, but this line is very scary. It feels like this line should be higher 
and it's only three and a half, which tells me that Atlanta could be the right side here. And miraculously, they show up. The other thing that's a little bit of an indication of that is that the total is 53 and a half in the game, which is telling you there's not a lot of respect for Seattle's defense. So I will agree that the right team is favored here, but this is not one of my favorites of the ones that we're going over because eventually, uh, Joe, Atlanta's going to win a game and cover a spread. I don't know when it's going to happen, but between now and the end of the year, it's going to. Uh, but I cannot take Atlanta in this game. I just I, I just can't do it. So uh, I will say the right team is favored, but I do not feel great about this one. Uh, Bills minus two and a half against the Eagles. This uh, is one of the more surprising numbers for some people in Las Vegas because it is still giving a ton of respect to the Eagles, even though they've played dismal for the most part this season. The Bills have played well, but I suppose from a talent point of view, when you look at it on paper, Philly has as much or more talent than the Bills do. Hence, they're not even giving Buffalo a home field advantage here. Bills minus two and a half against the Eagles at home is the wrong team favorite in this game. The only pause I have with this one is the identity of the Bills. You know, they, they do like to run the football. And now you're going to force them to throw the ball, which, look, I'm not saying Josh Allen's not capable. He is. But this is another scenario where it would not shock me if the Bills added another wide receiver here at the deadline, too. But Brown's been pretty good. Beasley's been pretty good. You're basically going to demand Josh Allen to beat you in the passing game, I think, with this one. And the Eagles might have more talent or certainly bigger stars on their team. But those stars are, have not played well. I mean, we haven't gotten great Zach Ertz games. We've gotten very up and down Carson Wentz games. There's a lot here to be concerned with as the Eagles continue to roll on here. So this is this is a tricky one for me because I have great respect for the Bills defense. I'm going to say the right team is favored here because at the end of the day, I like the Bills defense and I like Josh Allen to make a play. So I will go with that one. But I understand people thinking, well, this is a, a Eagles get right game. But, you know, I think the Bills learned a good lesson last week because I think they came out a little flat against the Dolphins. They took it for granted and they had to kind of play catch up a little bit and then they put them away. So I think that was a very good lesson. Don't overlook anybody and don't look ahead to the Eagles. So where are you at with the Eagles? Because I'm not buying right now. Yeah, I'm going to have to take Buffalo, but I do not feel good about it. I really don't. Um, and again, the line is more telling than anything else. In fact, some places Buffalo's only a point and a half. So that tells you really that Philly's a better team. Or at least the perception is that Philly's a better team than Buffalo. Uh, look, uh, this is one of those games, like I said on Monday night, that we're going to know very quickly about this game very early on. Uh, if this game is 3-3, 7-7, that's exactly what you want if you're a Buffalo uh, backer. But Philly has that firepower where if they go up 14-0 or 17-3, this is, this is, look, I know Buffalo came back against Miami. They are not going to come back that way against Philly because Philly can keep scoring. So uh, I'll back the Bills here. But again, like the last pick, don't feel good about it. Uh, Packers Sunday night is our last one. They're at the Chiefs. Uh, there were some rumblings that Mahomes may play. I think that, uh, you know, from a fantasy perspective, you're hoping he does not. I don't know what they would do. Why would they do play Patrick Mahomes after everything that happened last week? <laughs> Madness. Week? No sense. So let's just assume that he's not. Packers minus four at the Chiefs. Uh, uh, going against Green Bay has not worked out for me all season long, uh, and they just keep proving people wrong, and they're minus four at Kansas City. Is the wrong team favorite in this one? No, the right team's favor. Green Bay has some issues, but they're not going to show up in this game. And I'm tired of hearing how great of a building it is and how much of a home field advantage it is in Kansas City. But at the end of the day, it's Matt Moore. So those two words, let alone, are, are enough for me to go with the Packers here. I'm going to take Kansas City at home. I'm going to take the points. One of these times, I'll be right against Green Bay. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. But I'm going to take points at home on a Sunday night and hope that uh, the Chiefs can keep it close. Uh, college football, Joe. Rutgers in New Jersey, where you live. Rutgers hasn't covered five games in a row. They're paying Liberty a million dollars to come play them this week, and they're seven-point underdogs. That's never happened in the history of college football. Is the wrong team favorite in this game? I guess yes. 
<laughs> I mean, you I like guess. Rutgers on well, Saturday. I mean, you're paying a team to come in there. Shouldn't they come in there and lose? Like, isn't that what you do? Right? You yeah, but that's, that has not worked out. But I mean, at a certain point, when you have to, when you're paying a team to come in there and get a W, you would think you win. So, seven wow. back in Rutgers. Oh, okay. I, I am. I got it. I'm going to try. I got to try. All right. I mean, give it a shot. I'm going to say no. I say Liberty blows me. All right, that will that will be that will be uh, our in the wrong team favorite segment coming up next. John Lobb will join us. We'll have the best of hour one, and then we'll be back for hour number two. Don't go away. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. And welcome back. It is Fantasy Sports Today, and it is a Thursday. So as always, we are joined by the Gridiron Scholar, John Lobb, who joins us now to talk a little college football. You can catch his rankings, his DFS opinions, and everything that goes on in college with John as he joins us now over at Fantrax. Make sure you check, check him out over at Fantrax.com. John, thanks for coming on the show once again on this Thursday, and it feels like we were just talking about week one of college, and here we are, man, uh, more than halfway through the season. Wild, huh? Yeah, I'm blown away because our college fantasy football playoffs begin in like three weeks. It goes so quick, the college football season, but it's been a great one, my friend. Well, well, uh, let, let's kind of start off with just your overall thoughts here uh, on the season. I know that the key uh, really for just the entire college football season rides on the left arm of Tua Tagalova. Maybe it you know, rides on his foot at this point. We'll kind of have to see how that <laughs> plays out. Uh, but but John, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, this this whole entire season and we'll spend probably more than five minutes on this in two weeks from now when Alabama plays LSU. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for most people. But uh, John, I think people may be missing the point also though, because with as well as LSU has played, does that outcome of that game in two weeks really mean anything? Because it it feels like both those two teams may be in the playoff regardless of the outcome of that one. I agree with you, Craig. Well, I can't wait to see that game. Me too, by the way, you know, it let, let's say both of those teams end up with one loss. And then the team that loses the game head-to-head wins the SEC title game. I don't see how they both don't get into the playoffs again. So while I'm looking forward to this game, it is not the end-all and be-all. The only way it could possibly have that much impact on the playoffs is if the team that loses loses again or doesn't win the SEC and the other team goes undefeated and wins the conference. So while it, it could have huge ramifications, there's still a chance for both teams to get into the postseason. Yeah, it's really fascinating, I think, in order to you know kind of dive into this because I do think that, especially if it's a close game, I don't see how that you can keep any of those teams out. And and it would appear, John, at this point that Clemson has, you know, certainly a big leg up, even though they haven't played very well this season coming off a college championship. 
Uh, John, there are people that feel like Ohio State may have a good run at this this season, and we're going to find out a lot more about them this week against uh, Wisconsin. Unfortunately, the game doesn't have the juice that it would have had had they not lost to uh, Illinois. That was wild last week. But <laughs> do, do you feel that way? I feel like uh, like some people are saying, oh, yeah, Ohio State, if they get to the championship, could beat an Alabama or they could beat an LSU. Do you feel that way? I, I mean, I'm not seeing it, but some very smart people who follow college football are saying that this is as talented a team as any team in the country. I would be hard-pressed to think of, let's say they had to play Clemson and LSU back-to-back in the postseason. I do not think they could beat both of those teams. I think they could win a game, you know, but they would need everything to be perfect for them. Now, while I like Justin Fields, I think there's questions to me. I see a lot of wide-open athletes on the Buckeyes when Justin Fields throws the football. I know the secondaries in the SEC can cover better and they have more elite athletes. I think they can slow down the Buckeyes. Look, if they go undefeated, they deserve to get in. I don't think that they're as good as the teams in the SEC. And I question a first-year coach and essentially a first-year quarterback who has lots of, you know, he has him right now, I do not think that he can necessarily guide the Buckeyes through this whole challenge. That is, all right. We're talking with uh, John Lobb here. John, your phone is breaking up a little bit, so get over toward a window if you could. John Lobb here, uh, the Gridiron oh. Scholar, who's with us here, talking on FNTSY and over on Sports Grid. Let's dive into some of the games this week, John. What's caught your eye? Well, we did obviously mention Wisconsin Ohio State. I am looking forward to that one, but it did lose some of its juice. But we have to go back to the SEC here. Auburn LSU, man, the Tigers are 11-point favorites in this game. This seems like a trap game to me. You know, here's Alabama has the week off. They're going to hopefully get their – no, I'm sorry, Alabama plays. And then they have a week off to play LSU. But I feel like Auburn is underrated. They're the number nine team in the country. They're nine, six and one um, overall, three and one in the SEC. I think they could go into LSU and win this game. Now, it would be an upset, but I'm surprised the Tigers didn't schedule this in the evening. We had talked earlier when Florida went there. At Death Valley at night, the Tigers are almost undefeated, right? They never lose. This is a 3 30 kickoff. I think the Tigers Michigan State. You know, I'm shocked at how well the Nittany Lions have played this year. They're number six in the country, and I give all the credit to Franklin, the coach, and Clifford, the quarterback. But Michigan State can be nasty on defense. And they're, they're going over there after they beat Michigan. That's a tough back-to-back game because the one thing the Spartans are going to do, they're going to hit you, and they're going to hit you hard on their offense is way below average. But I want to see if the Nittany Lions on the road after a physical game in Michigan, if they can take the physical beating that the Spartans are giving them again. We're talking to John Lobb, the Gridiron Scholar here with us, talking a little fantasy this weekend. Um, how would you say that your DFS season is going thus far? Because it's, it's look, uh, for the most part, a lot of the players that we had toward the top of the draft have really underperformed, and especially at the quarterback level, if we're going to miss Tua for a week, and, and and obviously Clemson's quarterback did not have a good year, we've seen a lot of injuries. And, and again, Derek King ended up transferring. What, what's kind of been like that this season? It seems like the top 12 has come nowhere close to what we thought. No, the top players have not. And, you know, in regular season, my rosters have turned over tremendously. 
But in DFS, I've been, I'm probably winning cashing in three out of every four contests that I play. I'm basically a cash game player, 50-50s. That's what I like the most once in a while. I'll dabble in a triple up. But luckily, there has been value. As an example, last week, Brees Hall, the running back at Iowa State, popped up as a tremendous value, and he was way underpriced. So if you know the, the players in the landscape, the most of the slates are between, that I like, are between 7 and 11 games. So you're looking at 14 to 22 teams. And one of the things to me that I've been able to do is you need to find one or two sleepers who are underpriced. And if you get them, then you are able to, if Jocelyn Taylor, like last week, he had a down game. Now, I didn't have him. I just thought they would win the game so easily they would take him out, which is ironic. They ended up losing the game. But if you have a bad game, you can withstand the big player not performing. But what has also happened is I'm learning that you just have to have Oklahoma players every week. You, Joe Burrow was such – I mean – all, I mean, Jalen Hurts has just been incredible from DFS. Yes. But then you have to find value around him. Early in the year, Joe Burrow was so underpriced and those Tigers wide receivers. So I was getting a lot of value there. So it's really about understanding the value. And it takes a lot of research because you really have to look through all the depth charts of some of those teams you might not be as familiar with. But it is there. And I've been, you know, hey, I do my research. And as long as I'm winning 70%, of my cash games, I'm pretty good. And right now I'm at like 74.3%. So I'm feeling good about it. Is, is there any player this week, John, that we should be looking at in, uh, in college at all that you're going to have in your lineup so you can get some advice on? Yeah, I have two players. I mentioned them already. Brees Hall is still wildly underpriced. Now, if you remember, David Montgomery, the Cyclones like to run the football, and Montgomery's now playing for the Bears. And early in the season, Iowa State, I didn't know what they were doing. They were kind of rotating running backs. Maybe they didn't want to give it to a freshman. But last week, he was wildly underpriced, but he's still a value. He's only 6,500. I'm going to have him in both of my lineups. I only play two lineups every week. But the last two games, he has scored 43.6 and 35.7 points. They're playing Oklahoma State at home. I know the Cyclones are going to run the football and be successful against the Cowboys. So I think you anchor your team with Brees Hall. And another one, if you have not been watching the Golden Gophers, and I know we haven't talked about them, and their schedule gets hard. So they're 7-0 and Minnesota. I'm shocked that they're that good. But they're hosting the Maryland Terrapins, who have completely fallen apart this week. Minnesota has a legitimate NFL wide receiver, Tyler Johnson. I have a second-round grade on him. But he, again, is wildly underpriced at only 6,300. I think Minnesota is going to be able to score a lot on Maryland. And what I'm hoping is the Terrapins can keep this game close with their offense. So Tyler Johnson is going to get more opportunities. But at that price point at 6,300, he is averaging nearly – 21 points a game. I love that price. So I'm going to anchor my noon slate around Brees Hall and Tyler Johnson. And then there's value out there at the other positions for you. John Lobb is with us as we get ready to start week nine of college football tonight. SMU in Houston will get the ball rolling. High total there, by the way. Wow, 65. I think I even like more points than that in that game tonight. <laughs> Bouchelle has been, oh my gosh, wow, what a great addition oh. he has been to uh, 
SMU. It gives hope for other uh, kids who don't make it. You know, Erlinger um, has been so good. Bouchelle leaves, has, puts together a nice career. Maybe he's an NFL quarterback, no doubt. Uh, John, this was an interesting story. Uh, Joe and I have been following this because there's there's jokes being made about Rutgers, and you know this, about them ah. being uh, arguably the worst team ever in D1 college football. They haven't covered five games in a row. And from a historical perspective, and that was Minnesota, by the way, smashed them last week, the team that you just mentioned, that they're paying uh, Liberty a million dollars to come play <laughs> them this week. And, and we've seen teams in the past get paid a million dollars and lose. We've seen that a lot. But have you ever seen a game where the team that they're paying that they're paying is seven point favorites? To win, like I, I mean, they they're basically paying a million dollars for a team to come and kick their, you know what? I mean that. I, I, and, and by the way, Liberty's beaten some pretty good teams this year, like D one teams. They beat New Mexico. I saw they beat a couple of, and not that New Mexico is good, but Division one. So uh, I mean, John, is there? I mean, look, I know their quarterback he quit, and the running back quit. Their coach got yeah. fired. I mean, is Liberty going to smash Rutgers this week? I actually think Liberty is going to win this game. And, and here's a player that, if you can watch this, I, it's on the Big Ten. How is the Big Ten Network showing this game? That's crazy. But <laughs> That's anyway, <a> question. <laughs> I mean, so Liberty is 5-2, and two, and they have a wide receiver. If you have not seen this young man, Antonio Gandy-Golden. Now, he's six foot four, 220 pounds from Dallas, Georgia. He is a perfect. Now, I have a fourth-round grade on him. Now, we have to obviously see him at the Combine and how he's going to test out. But at, for Liberty's schedule and what this young man has accomplished, he is a legitimate NFL prospect. Last year, he had over 1,000 yards receiving and 10 touchdowns. This year, he's even off the charts. He has in seven games 877 yards receiving, over 20 yards of catch, and five touchdowns. I don't think Rutgers has the defensive backs to cover this young man. I actually like Liberty in this game, my friend, and it's unbelievable to pay a million dollars to lose. It is it is crazy if that ends up happening this week. And, and look, we've seen yeah. it happen, but I don't know that going into a game that you've <laughs> no. paid it. I mean, that, I, this is historical for me because, uh, look, I've seen Florida pay, uh, you know, the University of Florida uh, pay teams to do it. We saw FSU pay Louisiana Monroe, I believe, to do it, and then they lose. But going yeah. into the game as a dog against a team you've paid, I, I, I <laughs> never, never, never in all of my years watching have I seen this for sure. All right, John, we'll catch your work over at Fantrax this week. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll catch up again next Thursday, and then in two weeks we'll do a huge preview of that LSU-Alabama game. No question, okay? Yeah, I can't wait. Have a great day, everyone. All right, John Love, the Gridiron Scholar. We'll take a quick timeout. Best of the first hour coming up next. Our second hour is next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia.
Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we wrap up the first hour of the show, here's what you missed. Bucks at the Titans. Titans minus two and a half. Is the wrong team favored in this game? No. I understand where you're coming from with this one and the Bucks coming off the bye and, you know, we'll see what's going on there. But I, I understand the Buccaneers have also done a very good job of stopping the run. They're one of the better run defenses out there in the National Football League, believe it or not. And the Titans, I don't know if I want to buy into Ryan Tannehill 100% because you've seen more Ryan Tannehill than most of us, unfortunately. And we all know he's going to have some moments and some moments that are not so good. So I think when you look at this, can they throw the ball in the box? And I think the answer is yes. I, I think Corey Davis, as long as he's healthy, I know he missed practice yesterday with an undisclosed injury. You got to love the undisclosed injuries. Those are my favorites. Um, but between him and A.J. Brown, I feel like Tannehill can do enough to win this football game. I actually think the Titans should be favored. And they're at home, too. So I think there's a lot of reasons there. Now, the Buccaneers certainly are dangerous. The Buccaneers certainly can continue to air it out with guys like Godwin and guys like Evans. But at the end of the day, I, I just... the Bucks' ability to just continue to make mistakes is staggering, and I just feel like you can't win football games that way. I don't like Tennessee at all. I don't like their offensive line at all, and I think that you illustrated a very important point, which is running backs against the Bucks have struggled, and if Henry is not running, I think it will cause a problem. I will take Tampa Bay here as the as the wrong team being favored. I'm the biggest anti-Winston guy. I think that the Bucks go back to that try-to-run-the-ball-and-not-make-mistakes type offense, which leads the game 17-17 with one minute to go, and as long as Tampa Bay has that ball with 17-17 with one minute to go, they got a shot. I'll throw a dart, take Tampa Bay as the wrong team being favored in this game.